0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think
1: find out how much at airbnb.com host
0: welcome back to the messy truth conversations on photography i'm honored to have lia abril on the show today lia is a research-based artist working in photography text video and sound she began her career at the iconic colors magazine which left an indelible mark on how she thinks about process, authorship, and collaboration. Now, her artwork is centred on creating a dialogue around the hidden realities related to sexuality and gender inequality. In this episode, we talk about her long-term project, A History of Misogyny. Chapter one on abortion is a gut-wrenching exploration of the repercussions of not having access to abortion. And in her latest chapter on rape, she aims to call out institutionalised rape culture, She looks at why structures of justice, law and policy are not only failing survivors, but actually encouraging perpetrators, by preserving power dynamics which normalise sexual violence. In this episode, we talk about her methodology, how it has evolved over time, how she thinks about audience, and how she navigates the emotional weight of the subject matter she's dealing with. For me, Lyra is one of the most important artists working today. Her work is about starting vital conversations around urgent issues to play her role in creating a more empathetic and safe world. The content of this podcast could be triggering for some listeners. We discuss topics including eating disorders, sexual violence, abortion, child abuse and trauma. Do take care if this episode could be harmful for you. Thanks for listening. I'm so curious to hear about your time at Colours where you worked as a researcher, staff photographer, and a photo editor for five years, because I'm such a huge fan of the magazine. It really is a very, very special publication. And it has this really rich and kind of layered way of storytelling. And I'd love to hear about your experiences there and how they shaped your own approach and kind of methodologies of working.
1: Yeah, I guess Colour was indeed my school. Like I I end up... Uh... I ended up studying journalism, but really because I wanted to, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, because I wanted to do everything. Like, I think journalism was my card to get inside other people's lives, no? It sounds really like a cliche, but it was true. And and in a way, when I was doing um, journalism, I was very lucky to 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 find colors and to find Oliver Toscani's work. And... And I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it to the point that I decided that was gonna be where I was gonna work. And it took me a few years to to manage to get there. and And that was my school because it was kind of where I understood that design and production and 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 photography and text and film, and they were only tools in order for us to tell what we wanted to tell. And in that case, were the stories we were telling. Uh, In my case now, the stories I am telling. So also being surrounded by people from all over the world, very young people, very talented people. Uh, It it was pretty much where I developed my methodology of work. Obviously, that has changed uh, with the time, but um, still... To this day, the people I work with, like my editor, my video editor, my designer, they were colleagues at Colors or at Fabrica, which is the, the residency where Colors uh, was placed in, um, in the north end of Italy. Yeah, it was a pretty wide experience. I only remember the nice things, but it was also pretty intense at the beginning because we didn't have internet at home. We didn't have iPhones. So we were quite isolated in the middle of nowhere in Italy. And we were pretty much working every day. It was the most productive time of my
0: life. (laughs) Colours also has this really exciting dynamic around teamwork as well, right? Kind of breaking down and sort of reimagining ideas of ownership and authorship of work, which feels like as well something that you've kind of carried through into your own practice in terms of unravelling subject matter with multiple voices.
1: Yeah, like when I'm in the methodology, um, obviously, the way we were researching, that's also part of it. But basically, this kind of concept of teamwork is a very big part of it. Like if you really, if you take a look to a colors, they, for instance, the text is not credited. And, and I think that's that was really interesting, no? Because coming from journalism, even from documentary photography, which is this very individualistic world, um, and obviously to credit photographers, it's very important. I'm not saying it's not. But at the end of the day, the way we were working, everybody was pitching ideas, even the design department. Even I was pitching ideas to the design department. It was really horizontal in the way we were working. So at the end of the day, the text that you are reading is it the text from, you know, is the credit for the, should be the credit for the, for the writer or should be for the person who pitched it or the person who researched it or the person who did the interview or the one that was translating or editing or fixing it. So yeah, it was pretty much everybody's work. And with photography it was exactly the same. I was, when I was a photo editor, I was, I was assigning photographers with such a very tailored briefs that it was, and I was they were mostly stories that I researched myself that at the end of the day, you know like is is the photographer the owner of the picture because he you know like it's just, I believe was a shared credit in many cases, and nowadays in my work, I believe it's the same, like I work with a lot of people, and I feel I share the credit with a lot of people who works with me and and is obviously not only myself doing it and and you know it's also very interesting to navigate the ego of my own photography when the first day I arrived with my first assignment and they didn't use it because you know the art direction was uh was not like fitting the art direction even though the pictures were good so those kinds of um moments were the ones that taught me you know it's not about your picture it's not about what you've done it's it's about is about the story. So that was pretty much my 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 school, my learning process, yeah. I'm really interested in your
0: kind of unique process of slow storytelling because your work is obviously incredibly layered and complex and What I've always been fascinated by is the way when you talk about your work, you make it very clear that this approach did not just happen overnight. It's been this sustained long term commitment to your practice, to ideas of trial and error. um, And all of those decisions and strategies and learnings you've employed over time have kind of laddered to this incredibly rich work. And I wondered how you've developed or kind of cultivated the confidence and resilience to really trust
1: in your process, because it's not easy to do. No, it's not trust and confidence. I guess what I've realized lately is the fact that it's not about the result. And I guess that's also kind of parallel to what I was telling um, about colors. And in my case, it's a little bit more obvious because it's a journey, you know? Like when I f- start working on abortion or on rape, I don't really know much about it. Like, obviously, I know, but not uh, to the point that I know after when I finish the project. So what it detonates for me or what it triggers for me to focus in in one chapter or in one topic lately is pretty much connected to a need of understanding. And that process of, again, learning and researching and understanding and connecting, um, it's, it's pretty much what takes me to the visualization and the end result, which happens, obviously, like at the end of it. So during the process, everything that I do, and this is also something... Um, I do when I work with my designer Ramon Pez. We work in this particular way. I call it the ping pong kind of um, methodology. It's like questioning all the time, like if it make if makes sense what we are doing, especially when you are working with very sensitive topics. Um, you know, there is always this danger of using uh, too much aesthetics or, or 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 getting too shallow about some aspects because at the end of the day, we are working with um, artistic tools. So for me, the process of of criticizing myself, or I wouldn't say criticizing, but like kind of confronting myself with every decision that I take, is what at the end of the day makes has I'm a little bit more calm in the way that okay, even though even though you know that this is not the only way how things should be done or might not be the best way, at least it has been a process in which we have reflected on every step of the way. And and that's very organic, no? And, and it's kind of complex when you work on long-term projects because, for instance, now when I talk about on abortion, um, I've, I did the research and the production five years ago, which is, you know, a long time, in, especially in the late years that everything changed so much. Um, and the fact that I'm still... Is it still consistent and I'm still okay defending the project? I mean, maybe not a hundred percent, but you know, it's for me it's clear that 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 methodology works. And when it's not, which happens because again, the world is changing very rapidly, as much as I can, I also face it and I also change it, no, especially with shows, which is easier obviously than books. So that that kind of like allowing myself to not fail but being able to understand that things are in a constant process and and evolution in a way I think that's what makes the project uh, possible to survive for so many years I don't know if that makes more sense. (laughs) sense
0: yeah it really does it really does and it's interesting that you know you mentioned sort of this kind of obsession people have with the final manifestation of the work and it's interesting because in your work the research is is also very much the work it's the critical element that everything hangs upon can you talk about your approach to research and kind of the role of the internet within your practice because it feels so powerful in terms of how it brings everything together
1: yeah I guess I'm I'm a daughter of internet and the first social media and the Facebook generation or, or and I'm always been very grateful actually because the kind of stories that I want to tell, they are not the stories that you find walking in the street. So it's always been thanks to internet and social network that I have found my character. So I'm I'm quite grateful of being from this generation. The, the research is really the most organic part of the process, no? because I, I study journalism and people tend to think that that's the kind of research that I do. And I didn't really... Learn much research when I was studying journalism, I actually learned about researching at Colors. And the way we were researching at Colors was not the strict journalistic methodology. So during these years, I've been mixing it up with, uh, you know, other systems and other another kind of sources. And slowly it's been, it's kind of getting transformed into a more personal research in which I actually face very hard information, and I decided to react to it in a visual way and and It's hard for me to explain this because this is what I've done in the latest project in with on rape, but it's already different the way that I'm working with the next one, so it's difficult to generalize and and if i I have to explain the research based on each project. Like for instance, with an abortion, it's quite journalistic in the way that I have to find a lot of people. I have to find a lot of stories that were, that were hidden, um, which is very different than on rape, which I have to pretty much filter millions of stories. So I always use this kind of analogy of me being the filter of this very raw, tough reality. Um, yeah, but uh, it's it's a filter that is very s- subjective, no? It's very personal. It's not objective, so that's why I, I try to de- disattach myself from the journalistic practice, which is different. But at the end of the day, it's 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 my my research journey. It's my it's my and what you see when you look at my project. It's a little bit of a glance of my own mental trip or my emotional trip um, through this subject that I, I believe it's it's important for me and for many people to to take a look because maybe um, we haven't taken a look uh, properly or we did take a look but we forgot about something or it's you know it's 2020 and something else uh, has come up so I'm also very much conscience of of people around me and the audience it's not obviously only about me It's also about uh, finding those holes where people might be confused about information and, and and there is a lot of misunderstanding around it so that's i guess that's a little bit connected to the journalist background but at the end of the day uh you know we do this for ourselves otherwise um yeah we wouldn't be doing it <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. um, I heard you talk about how with On Rape, you worked with psychologists and lawyers as part of your dialogue with the subjects. And, And I know you've talked before about sort of numerous experts, scientists, different people that you've drawn upon to help you, I guess, explore or examine the sort of real nuances within some of these subject matters, which are so, so vast. Has that been quite an important part of your process as well?
1: Yeah, I mentioned it for Ray because I thought it was important because there is this kind of narrative around documentary photography that um, our subjects come to us uh, because they kind of look for this catharsis. And I was speaking with this very, very good psychiatric and she was telling me, be careful with this idea of this catharsis because you don't know what's going to happen once you leave the room and you don't know that person's... uh, background in terms of uh you know like the mental health and and it could be actually very dangerous and that was really that was really important really humbling and really and 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 make me realize that for this particular chapter uh in some specific cases i would need to have this kind of translator like in a way also sometimes tr- a real translator because it was from countries i don't speak the language but also like translating my questions so that i was not triggering or translating my intentions so they would feel safe and and i yeah i work with different kind of characters but psychologists and 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 those kinds of mental health experts are always been around my practice because since i started with on eating disorders and 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 since I started myself, I always have been uh, a lot of influence from from psychology, and I don't really talk much about it until lately because of that chapter. But also because I have a feeling people it's a little bit more interested in mental health or have a need of artists or 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 or, or documentary photographers or, or people creating half content um, to be real about it because obviously that you know there is a that is there is an aspect of it that also affects my personal and my direct life so it's yeah it's it's something that for me it's very usual and very normal but i guess not many people talks about it yeah it's all part of the the wider accountability, right, which is something that
0: has always been present, but this evolution from kind of what the documentary practice used to stand for and how that's shifting and where perhaps we need to evolve some of the ethics
1: and approach around that. It's it's really interesting. It is because, you know, I was, I mean, I haven't really given it a thought, but lately that we've been asked about post-truth and, you know, all, all those things, and I'm disattaching again myself because I'm I'm in a different um, search, basically. I also realized like why I felt the need to break all those documentary rules, why I started doing appropriation, why I started doing reconstruction, why I started to break that mold. And it was not a matter of being rebel. It was just those guidelines or those strategies were very useful for the kind of topics that they were proposing as the news. They were saying that was the news. And the kind of topics that I want to see in the magazines or the kind of topics I wanted to document, they were not only not appearing there because of patriarchy, but also because the system or the documentary photography guidelines were not really open to those kinds of stories. And as an example, like psychological in-depth complex stories it was like effectivity no like a visual effectivity in a way um my my images are not effective in terms of having them in a newspaper you need a lot of time to understand where you're looking at you need a lot of time to read i'm asking you a lot of your time and your energy and obviously that does not match uh the news and that does not match the way we were communicating and obviously, I'm not saying I'm the only one or, or, or that, you know, not people were not doing that. Obviously, there were people doing that. But I'm just talking like mainstream way of communication.
0: I'm interested to talk about kind of a history of misogyny and kind of this idea of an umbrella theme and how it kind of emerged for you. Was there a, a sort of genesis or a particular moment, which was a catalyst for that idea?
1: Yeah, I I guess the the chapter thing, it's just like a reaction I'm, I'm the the generation that we were watching lost no it was the first pre-netflix generation where for for once we were getting um our storytelling in in episodes so i think that kind of influenced a little bit but if i have to be honest what scared me scared me the most was the the idea that i have to spend 15 years photographing the same thing in the same way i thought that was just like not what i wanted to do so in a way Chapterizing the projects uh, it would allow me to have these boxes in which I could choose different aspects of the topics, and would, I could also maybe use different ways of visualizing them or different platforms. So that was the, the the starting point with um on eating disorders. And once I finish it, I realize I have already done a lot of research parallelly um on subjects connected to sexuality, to women's rights, but they were not a structure and, and as they as on it in this, or this way was a structure. So that plus the fact that again I have a lot of resistance from platforms or from the media or from or from people, like not really wanting to pay attention to the stories that I wanted to tell, um, I decided that to start a new long-term project and and the concept of this umbrella the historical umbrella it was just a matter of proving people that what they were telling me was not true like they were telling me especially in spain well you know those problems belong to the past or that only happens in other countries whatever that means and and i was researching i was seeing that that was not true you know? and, and 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 it was doing very shallow research it was not like in the depth that i that i work now uh, so that was the reaction. The reaction was like, "Let me show you that this is not connected to time. Let me show you that this is not connecting to other countries. Let me show you that this could happen tomorrow." And actually, it did because when I first started researching, it was 2015, and it was pre-campaign for Donald Trump. And if you take a look to to history and you take a look to human rights, you know they are not from worse to good. <laughs> they are they are pendular, and and it was quite obvious what was going to happen and indeed I mean I was not myself discovering you know the, the philosophers and historians and economists and, and, and human rights experts were already seeing it coming so I guess it was a reaction to, to, to that and, and, and it allowed me to also work in the way that I needed which was um, specifically different for each topic that I wanted to to approach.
0: Let's talk a little bit about chapter one on abortion, because that, for me, was a real kind of gut wrenching exploration of the repercussions of not having access to abortion. And also really raises questions about the ethics and morality of the subject while sort of revealing this disarming series of social triggers, stigmas and taboos, as you say, that have long remained invisible and so, so much is examined in this work. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your production process and
1: how the work is made. Yeah, so the first time that I heard about this idea of not having access to abortion was actually around 2009 that I was working at Colors. Um, we were doing this issue about the sea and I was looking for stories that they were not the typical stories. and I And I came across this boat from this uh, Dutch organization called Women on Waves. So basically this boat has, you know, was sailing international waters, um, providing access to abortion procedures uh, to women in countries where you know, it was restricted. So that was the first time. And, and I remember not being able to reach the vote because something was going on with the law, the law was changing in the Netherlands. And and that was it. And a few years later, when I when I was researching from a history of misogyny, on abortion was not really a chapter. But I have some of those stories already planned in my in my first research um pitch. But the more I was researching about the subject, the more I realized it was incredibly important to talk about it. And and there were not many news. Uh, specific news uh, talking about it, but the, the reports and, and and the statistics were really frightening because more than forty seven thousand women were dying because of not having access to abortion, which is something we can easily, you know, fix. And when it's something that is very easily fixed, and and it's a matter of 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 a stigma and it's a matter of politics, uh, it really upsets me. So I thought it was interesting to to take a look to that. But I guess the ticking point was the fact that in Spain, they in 2013, 14, they restrict they wanted to restrict the law um, to like the one we have maybe in the 70s. And they didn't manage to do it, but they did manage to restrict it, for instance, in people under 18. So that was really impressive for me because even though you're open minded and, and 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 a citizen of the world and traveling it all the time, still there is something when it attacks home, no, and, and and you never expect it. Once things are okay, you never expect them to go wrong or to go backwards, but they do. And after that, I I started to research and I started to find very insane stories around it. And 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 I have an opportunity that it was really really important for me because um, I have an uh, an invitation to have a show in Al in the festival on the south of France. And this was pre me too. And I think that's important to say because I was, I think, not even 30. I was 29 years old uh, and I was invited to have a solo show about a subject that no one wanted to talk about it. Um, And I decided to start with on abortion because of the urgency of the topic, but it was kind of a crazy um, decision because I haven't yet taken almost any picture. So I have to do everything in nine months, which is you know, even a little bit funny, but also like crazy. Um, but because it, it was a huge opportunity, not obviously only for the subject, but also for my career, but especially for the subject, because I, you know I could have spe- wait one more year if it was for my career. But it was Trump was happening. Actually, it happened in the middle of the process, and and I you know I felt that it was now or never, and 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 that's why I I decided to do it. And that's how it was born. It was born with this first show. It was also the first time that I was working with an exhibition as a main platform because uh, before, obviously, I have done shows, but my main platform was more editorial with books or or, or even short documentaries. But it was the first time that it was an installation and, and and this space was actually deciding how to show it and what to show. So that was also a very big change and, 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 and also the starting point of a history of misogyny.
0: On Abortion includes this series of portraits and testimonies uh, of strong survivors, some of them really putting themselves at risk to be a contributor or collaborator in the project. And I wondered how
1: you manage the responsibility of those dynamics. Yeah, it's quite emotional, actually, to be honest, this week or this last month, because uh, even Joe... um, I should also embrace the good news from the fact that recently they also managed to change the Spanish law and now we are back to 2013 when you know the law was more accessible um, I started in Poland because it was it was in Europe and it was really really restrictive and it was not very dangerous at the time so I thought it was a good starting point and I started Talking to my to the people who would collaborate and, and creating these photo novels, and only like a few weeks ago, you know there is a massive um, tragic situation right now in Poland because it's, uh, women are in the streets and men are in the streets. They are they are demonstrating. There are riots because they want to make the law even more restrictive, which doesn't even. I don't know. I didn't thought it was possible. I mean, I should because, you know, I've seen many things happening in that sense. But um, I was not expecting it, especially after five years, like I've been working on the subject. You might not have hoped to get things better, but at least not have things worse. So it's quite emotional Mm -hmm. in in that sense. But yeah, like when I was photographing on abortion, it was very, very important to making the audience understand and and transmitting to the audience that they were not victims. They are very, very strong women who exercise their rights in a clandestine situation often. um, And that makes them very strong. And they make also really proud, and they were really proud of themselves. So it was very important for me to not portray them in a very paternalistic, victimizing way. You know, like I didn't, I really wanted to avoid that image of them from the back looking through the window. They were, they were extremely strong, wise, smart women. So photographing them in a very raw, straightforward, looking in the eyes, you know, this kind of, a, as you say, this kind of very strong portraits, it was really important to me. Because, you know, I have done, I have made that mistake before. And I guess that's why this organic way of looking back to the projects and understanding what you've done wrong and what you've done right it was really helpful in this case because I didn't want to make that mistake again. I didn't want to project this collective idea or even my personal idea um, to the portrait. In this case, my personal vision, it was kind of aligned to, to what I saw from them. But you know that strategy of having them as delicate victims is the strategy that we've been using for this kind of subjects for many, many years. So that was very important, and 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 you know, mostly of them were activists, or or, or they were very much um, connected to, to to. They they knew that it was very important to talk about it. So we shared that kind of responsibility in a way. But obviously, since politics are changing all the time, I have to be very careful about where to show it and how to show it. And I do have that responsibility my characters and my subjects are the most important thing of my projects. And even though the ones that they are not portrayed and they don't actually show their faces, even like the ones on, on rape are are a key element of, of everything I do. And, and I do have a lot of responsibility and I feel a lot of responsibility and I do have a lot of respect from the fact that they are sharing the story, especially in 2020. And, and you would say, well, should be the opposite, no? Because now everybody shows and, and shares their life online. But I think now it's it's harder than ever to to being able to to control the way we consume those stories. And that I think that's why also exhibitions and installations are a space that I really like to use to tell these personal stories because in a way force you to spend time and force you to be quiet and force you to to interact in a way, often, you know, the phone or, or, or the computer, it makes it a little bit more shallow because obviously it's faster, you know, and, and we are consuming information on and on, on and on. And there is something about the space in the room um, that you share in a public space, in a public experience in front of these stories that I think it kind of like makes you be more respectful and and I do appreciate and enjoy uh, that kind of process within the people reading the stories and, and, and looking the project.
0: You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. I feel like that really comes true in how you present on rape in terms of the series of life-size images of clothing that belongs to some of your subjects which support the written testimonies. It feels like that was a really powerful yet sensitive way to address that element of that chapter but also it's very visually intriguing you're kind of a master at the visual intrigue and, and <laughs> hooking hooking the viewer into what is a very difficult subject
1: matter you know with the with the dresses it, I mean we we only have had like few shows and and the book is still on its way but it and I haven't talked much about it because of the pandemic happened in the middle no but actually what is how this idea was born is because, you know, with an abortion, it was the opposite. With an abortion, we didn't really, I didn't really know the face of a person who have had an illegal abortion. But with rape, it was the opposite. Like it was in the middle of Me Too movement. And finally, um, testimonies of, of survivors were happening in mainstream media in a more regular basis. But what I realized is like, that was it. Like, we were putting all the pressure in those people. And I was a little bit worried about the fact that we were not actually putting the pressure in in who I thought we should be putting the pressure. And what I realized while I was uh, researching, it was like, in Spain, we have our kind of Me Too movement because of a very important case. Uh, it's called La Manada. And basically what happened is like these five men... Uh, gun raped this woman and they film it and it was a long trial and they were not at the beginning they were not um condemned with uh rape but with only abuse because he was not showing uh struggle or, or resistance in in that video and I was so shocked of how the system was failing her I was not even thinking about the fact that she was also raped obviously but also like You've been raped. You've been gun raped, and after this system, this democratic system, is failing you to this level of insanity, that I started to realize about this the concept of rape culture, the, this, how these institutions were not only allowing this to happen, but even promoting this to happen. And obviously, I started re- to research the, the the laws and 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 the marriage and the school and 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 the church and the military and prisons, and realizing about all these stories that i wanted to tell of people being failed by the system and by these institutions and by this culture so the dresses are not only to prevent from the from the survivors to have this pressure and this kind of second trial on 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 how they behave but also a way to facing ourselves and 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 to these institutions. No? And, and when you arrive to the room and you see all these dresses, the dresses symbolize these institutions. Obviously, you have the testimonies and the testimonies are on top of them. And unfortunately, the testimonies are pretty much representing millions of people at the same time because this is a massive problem. But the dresses have this binary a fact in which you're also looking at the institutions and kind of holding them accountable of of failing them. Especially, I I have this testimony that it really, really breaks my heart. It was this very young mother who I was talking to from Colombia. And she discovered that her four-year-old child was being abused by the teacher. And she started to, to, to investigate and she realized it was not only her, but it was pretty much everyone everyone in the in the class. There was around twenty-five children. And the way the school and the director of the school, who by the way was a woman, and the way politicians and social workers, everybody was just trying to silence her, that was that was absurd because you know, it's what I say. You you even forgot about the the person who is doing the abuse, and I even get more upset to to the system that this uh, silent this woman, but also pretty much allowing this man to keep doing the thing in other schools mm. after they move him. So uh, when you look at the testimonies, you would realize it's actually not about rape in this case. Obviously, they talk about it, but they don't talk about they being raped. They talk about how the system failed fail them afterwards
0: i found a lot of culture tv and film in particular Mm -hmm. who are also kind of reinforcing this allowance of sexual misconduct and i think they're making these shows under the guise of trying to you know expose these systems but actually i think in making it you know this dramatic interpretation and kind of glamorizing it also ends up reinforcing but you can get away with this. And I find it so triggering. And for me, like, this is why your work is so valuable because for so many, so many women, you know, we're constantly existing in the world with the tangible threat of violence. Like, even if it's a subconscious thing in terms of you're you're conscious of the spaces that you enter and, and how you move through the world. And I have so much rage about these injustices. This work really profoundly affected me. And I'm just wondering how you navigate this constant revisiting of like the physical, literal and emotional weight of this subject matter that you're moving through and kind of how you take care of yourself. Because I think if it was me, I would just be constantly angry.
1: Yeah, well, that's pretty bad. it. <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, the, when I mentioned about on abortion being easy to fix in a way, obviously, it's not if it's not easy, but it's possible. Um, what did really make me hopeless in within rape was the fact that the statistics, it was not even about this little girl being abused by her teacher that it just, you know, infuriate me the most. But the statistics make me hopeless because it's such a massive issue that I'm obviously not going to see the end of it uh, in my lifetime. So I had to focus in the aspects that I have a feeling they were fixable, like, for instance, you know, holding accountable our institutions. So the process was what you say is quite important because it actually affects pretty much also the way I work and my methodology. Like for the first time I was not even able to be cold enough to, you know, being as conceptual as I like to be sometimes because with an abortion, the idea is that my audience or the the audience I had in my mind was people who maybe were against abortion. And I like it to talk to this kind of gray area, uh, men or religious people or people who are not really interested in the subject. And in order to do that, I, I decided that the images were quite sober. They were quite um, welcoming to, to them to have a conversation. Obviously the text after they were really rough, but um, I wanted them to stay in the room as much as possible. And with rape, I didn't manage to do that. Like I got, I got really upset. And in this particular case, um, the historical component, in t- instead of being a comparison between the present and the past, as I did with an abortion, I use it in order to understand. Where, where where was this coming from? Like I I, I tracked back the laws, I got tracked the origins of the rape culture. This is the second part of the project. So I could understand why this is still what why this was happening. And in a weird way, that gives me some kind of peace. Like understanding this just doesn't happen because, <laughs> like obviously, mm. there is a root, is what gives me a little bit of peace. And that's why um, I did it that way. But while I was researching, while I was uh, working, and and you're totally right. Like, we just realize how much the rape culture affects our daily lives. It, it's actually called rape, rape sco- schedule. All the things you do or you don't do in your daily life in order to not get, um, you know, to to prevent sexual harassment or sexual abuse or sexual misconduct is actually an internalized rape schedule that we choose. You know, learn since kids. So obviously, mm. that made me really, really upset, and and I think it it, it affects a lot in the way that I uh, I'm I'm working or I'm gonna work in my next chapters because this kind of reacting to the research um, it took a toll on my on my mental health as well, and 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 I guess I I need to stop documenting only the dark aspects of this project or these topics because um you know i get it all there as well and i i just want to the next generation to take over <laughs> somehow because it's been <laughs> 10 years and and obviously a, a little bit more than 10 years and yeah you, you everybody has a limit no and, and and I think i kind of even though people say is that you get numb i i don't i don't think things affect me less than before i think things affect me more than before. I just, I'm better at, 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 at you know, like um, manage them and I'm better at, at, at asking for help, but it affects me more because they add to it. It's not like, you know, I don't get numb. I can get numb. I, it's My work is actually being empathic to the extreme that, that I feel what they are feeling. Obviously I'm never gonna feel what they are feeling, but that's the idea of being this filter. So at the end of the day, when you were photographing this little dress of this four-year-old girl from Colombia, it, it has a very big impact on, on on my health. So yeah, like you have to be okay in order to make proper these projects because they are very complex psychologically speaking. And and weight is an important element that motivates people often to get on the streets and you know, like and, and to nice change, but in my particular work, I prefer conversation and I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying, you know, this different, different approaches, different, different aspects, different levels, different ways of communicating. And in order to have a conversation, I, I can't be this upset. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that kind of like impact a lot, um, the future of my project and the next chapters are going to be quite different in, in that matter.
0: Oh, I just want to hear more. Um, <laughs> I don't really I'll know ask you how. A little bit later,
1: <laughs> okay. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting that you say about conversation because I was curious to hear your thoughts on audience and your relationship to your viewers. Because I watched a talk recently where you said, you know, you're really not looking for people to like the work. That's that's not what this is about. So I'm curious, kind of, what is that conversation that you want to start with them, and kind of
1: how do you think about your relationship with the viewer yeah it's very interesting you say that because it is only recent that i realized i don't need people to like it because when you start doing photography or, or when i was working as a documentary photographer even though people were doing also obviously rough stories um there was this component of people liking it and it's really it's really superficial because also kind of messed up how are you gonna like this no like it's not about liking it it's gonna make you uncomfortable so you're probably not gonna like it at all so if the whole idea is that you're gonna be uncomfortable um yeah i'm looking for other things to share with you and 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 the audience again, it's different in every chapter. And at this at the at the same time is everybody, because obviously I'm not only thinking in one particular target, but that particular target it is shaping the way that I construct the story or the visual approach. So and that's probably coming from my journalistic background. And that's really changing actually like the the next projects are getting more personal, so obviously the audience is there, but I'm a little bit more a protagonist in in some cases, so it's a it's it's a balance it's a conversation also between myself and 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 the audience and obviously the subjects of the story so that's co- constantly in my mind when i work and 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 it is very important for me i don't again I don't do it this only for myself at the end of the day it's it's to have a conversation. And there is something quite interesting. Like, I when I did on abortion the, the show, it took me a, a long time to do the book because some, somehow I didn't feel like I was who I was. You no, know? like why I'm doing a, writing a book about abortion. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. What's what's the point? I, who I, who am I doing? Why I'm doing this? And that took a long t- a, a long time. And it was really interesting to to have that space between both because now I try to do the same, like I have first the show, I'm now doing the book. And I realized that the conversations I was having with the people, the audience, the students, the the journalists helped me to understand what I have done. Because there is a, a little bit of it that you don't really know. You have this idea in your mind, you make the idea, but you don't really know what people actually is gonna take from that. And I was looking forward actually to having these shows this year. And which I, you know, I have some, but obviously it's not the same with the whole pandemic. But I really need people to to tell me what is that this is provoking them. And and sometimes it's the, the idea that I have at the beginning, but sometimes it's a completely different thing. And I really enjoy that part. And 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 then when I understood what's the function of what I'm doing and how it affects people. It also affects um, decisions, for instance, in the in the book or, or on either other pieces or the next chapters. So it is very important for me to have that, that kind of feedback um, from people. And I have many kinds of feedback. Like I always talk about the same story, but I really like it. And it's the fact that we have a show in 2017 uh, in Slovenia. And I and I was doing this show in this gallery and uh I was not there when this happened, but they took a picture of a visitor and it was this nun, Catholic nun, and that was just you know seeing the show and, and apparently spending like 45 minutes inside. And it was really strange because I was actually very worried about that show because we were having it in the middle of the main square in Ljubljana in the in the capital, and f- just a few weeks before they were projecting this horrible images of fetuses like from the pro life movement because they were having um they were having elections and the whole anti abortion movement is quite strong over there so the gallery is actually a, a glass gallery so you can see what it's inside and it's just near to the church so i was quite worried about it and um and and it was fine actually but the fact that she was there the fact that she was feeling comfortable enough to be inside of the room It was what I was looking for. I'm not looking to change her mind. I mean, obviously, that's a very complex thing, and we don't even know what she thinks about it. But it was very important to me to... It was as important to make the show as having the show in the places I wanted to have them. For instance, Ireland, it took me three, four years to have the show in Ireland. U.S., it took me five years to get finally the show in U.S. Mexico, where it is illegal. And, you know, Zagreb, like uh, Croatia... I was really much looking forward to have those conversations in those places. And um and that's as important as making the pictures for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea that was a glass gallery where you see <laughs> the nun. It's, that makes it that really adds a different element to that. Yeah, it's that gesture that she yeah. was
1: there. Especially because they, they did this kind of cut vinyl with the title in the glass with a massive tie face saying on abortion. <laughs> and I was really worried. Um, wow. Yeah, but it was fine. It was actually a very nice opening. That's
0: amazing. You know, it's really fascinating what you just said, because we're really living in an era, particularly this year, where we're really looking at art and photography and asking more, you know, asking what more can it do? And how can it better to support our world in a more positive way? And how can it perhaps graduate from its legacy, which was negative and, you know, almost weaponized, or really was weaponized? And I wondered, I wondered how you see your role as the author of your work. You know, do you see it having an activist element? Does it have a, a sort of humanitarian agenda for you or do you see it in a, in a very different way?
1: You know, this is always a very tricky question, also because I realized lately this um, activist label is very different from one country to another. Like it's not the same when you say I'm an activist in US or in UK that in Spain or many other countries. So I always refuse to to have that label because uh, my understanding of activism is very different from my work. I'm an artist, so my agenda is very different. At the end of the day, I do not have this um, specific goal of, of helping someone uh, or like changing something in particular. Like I'm offering an experience, I'm offering a reflection, I'm offering some content that hopefully it, it has an impact that is also aligned to those kind of um, ideas. But I really much respect the work of an activist, and I don't think I am. The same way I'm not a journalist. I'm not using the methodology of, you know, like telling facts and the truth in the way that journalists should. And and in a way, it's for many reasons, but once overall is the fact that I want to have a freedom of um, being able to investigate and being able to produce content in a way that it's more aligned to my own thoughts and my own feelings. And that's, I believe, pretty different from the role of a journalist or an activist. Um, But I don't think it's like a competition. I think that the idea is that it's a big puzzle and we all have our piece. And I'm just adding one piece to this big puzzle that hopefully take us to the obvious future that we want, which is a more empathic or holistic organic and, and peaceful work, I mean it's pretty basic at the end of the day. what I what I did realize at the beginning is that with communication with photography with text, I have a power which means I have a responsibility to show things in a way that might make people, Understand that some of their prejudices or their taboos—they are pretty much only because they never actually stop to think or to see stories in a particular way. So when I realized I was, I was quite okay or quite good, whatever you want to say, with very complicated stories or very tough stories, I suddenly felt that responsibility, or you know, going to those dark places and, and showing you um the result or or, or 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 the visualization of it in a way that, you know, you might suddenly see it from a different perspective. So it was very important for me to understand that especially the history of documentary photography was a little bit I was missing a little bit of, you know, I wanted to be a little bit more humble. Like I didn't expect to have the impact that they taught me that I could have as a photographer because you know this is not 1970s, and I don't think a picture can mm. change the 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 course of a uh, of the world because we have seen pictures that should have done that, like the picture of this little boy in in the Mediterranean, like the refugee, and it did not mm. change the the you know like we have this romantic idea that it could. So, I think it's important to be realistic about what is our role and what we can achieve and I'm really really grateful for an nan hour of her time you know spending there and 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 that's for me already a lot and I don't create products that they are mainstream, so obviously the impact that i have it's it's quite reduced to certain people who want to spend that time or or or, or that money or that effort, but that's okay because I there is other people who work, who work with different targets or different strategies that hopefully I don't know like a Netflix movie for instance arrive to many many more people. So um yeah, I don't feel it as a struggle anymore. I used to. Um, I just accept the limitations of the work. And I also try to trick them sometimes, for instance, working with multi-platform. Uh, obviously not everybody can buy a 40 pound book and obviously not everybody has access to museums. But if you manage to work in different platforms, you know you also have a larger audience, which at the end of the day, it, 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 that makes sense for me because you know it's a political humanitarian subject that I work with. It feels
0: like it's just so much about consciousness raising. It feels like that's really at the heart of the agenda of the work. Kind of, as you said before, it's about conversations. It's about trying to meet people both where they are, but take them somewhere else. I think the manifestations of the work being so multifaceted and multi-format, as you said, are so vital because they have such a delicate way of balancing both the respect respecting the material while using design as a tool to kind of draw the viewer in and engage them and 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 also propose a pathway through the material to enable them to keep going, which is not easy because these are profoundly difficult and emotionally triggering subject matters. And there's also a lot of depth and information that you're asking them to interact with. And for me, design really heightens the experience of the, the work, whether that's digitally on your site or in print, or in an exhibition context and I wondered you know do you really enjoy that presentation element of your practice because it just has so much energy yeah I mean
1: I think this is pretty much um a methodology that that we took and evolved from colors and and it's a matter of understanding that there is nothing above any other element like design is again a tool photography is a tool like text is a tool in order to create or an experience or a journey or or like a presentation of the work that is going to manage to reach the goals that we have in mind so the design of the project does not come at the end of the process it's it's since present since the beginning Like I, especially nowadays, I create the shows or or, or the projects thinking in the first space that I'm going to have, which is not the the ideal decision because afterwards you have to itinerate and it's a little bit, it's a struggle, but that is the (laughs) way that I, that I, that I've been working. And, uh, you know, on abortion, the book, I realized it was also, I was having a hard time because when I, when I was working with the material, I realized everything that I've done was thought to be shown in a physical space and in a public experience. So when I was making the book, I realized if I had made the book the first platform as first platform, I would have photographed everything in a different way. So it's a matter of of understanding and compromise, understanding the limits of the platform, the limits of the language, the limits of my my own my own limits, the limits of the work and 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 you know with that kind of box um trying to make the best thing possible but yeah like uh, all these uh, tools and elements um starting with the research the research is i guess the research is not a tool the research is everything for me the research is where i actually find the clues and, and, and the ideas and 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 detonates the visuals and 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 it makes everything make sense and then the tools around me that sometimes I open and I experiment a little bit more, even like with sound installation or with installations, and and that's I guess the the more um, artistic uh, interest of everything that is obviously also there. Um, and you know, like I like to also explore things and and, and learn things uh, that are not only about death and, <laughs> and people's struggle. I guess that's why I'm not uh, you know in the humanitarian career. Um, yeah, so those those elements are 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 pretty much the methodology that I have. It's not a secondary step on the way. It's pretty much the first one at the beginning, like is in my mind. It's fully integrated yeah, in the whole exactly. process.
0: It's interesting. What what have been some of the biggest challenges to making the work? Is is there anything you've had to unlearn along the way or is there anything that you're kind of constantly butting up against, which you have to overcome? Well, I guess
1: a lot of things. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it depends on each, on each project. It depends on each moment. Lately, as I already mentioned, it's a little bit much connected to the sense of everything because it's really hard. You know, it's not. It's not only about the heaviness of the topic, but it's also. Complicated to make a living as an artist, and it's it seems sometimes that is all everything is against you, and 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 if you don't really have a motivation that is really powerful, uh, I don't think you actually make it. No, when I'm teaching or, or doing workshops or uh, with my students, I, I, I'm always telling them like if you really need to find why you like to do this, and it should not be only connected to the ego ego issues. Ego issues are fine. Everybody likes to have a, you know, like a win a contest or like a, have, having a show or print a book. In a, in a, it's 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 a beautiful experience. But I don't think it should be the only thing because if that's the only thing, once you accomplish that, that that's it. Because you're also not making a lot of money, and money is obviously important because this is your job. So yeah, like there, it, it I need to have a deeper motivation to being able to to do all of this as a lifestyle and and that motivation with what's going on in the planet right now and 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 getting older sometimes is is a struggle because you don't really see it as clear as when you were 21 years old and you were really excited about it and, and to start it so yeah that's that's pretty much i guess the the biggest challenge in in about the process and about the methodology or, or the learning process i think that's actually is a big struggle as well but i think that's actually something at the end of the day we enjoy like for instance with an abortion at the in the middle of it i have a crisis a philosophical ethical crisis i've never actually asked myself until when is okay to have an abortion i never have to and and those are painful moments and and, and but those are the moments that make you Grow as a person, and I, I think that's the beauty, one of the beautiful sides of our job, no? Like to grow as a person, and 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 thanks to my job, I I have to have this very open mind, uh, flexible way of seeing the world, and I do enjoy um, being that way, and I think that's 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 a silver lining, no, of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I guess if you really ask me and I have to be honest about it, I do struggle with photography actually. Like I always have a very much um love and hate relationship with the medium. And uh and I sometimes is the pain comes from there <laughs> even more than from the actual topic. That's interesting because you know I think a significant
0: byproduct of your practice is this questioning and and testing of the limitations of photography as a medium as well as kind of the documentary tradition. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that tension. Can you can you unpack that a little more?
1: Yeah, I mean it's always been there, and and I think at the beginning was hard. It was stronger and it was harder. Now I I, I if, yeah, you know, I don't really um, label myself as a photographer. Like I, I, I think I'm an artist working with photography. I would say my medium is more even research at this point of, of, of the journey. But um, I guess it's what you say, like the limitations of photography in order to tell the stories that I wanted to tell, it made me doubt that if the problem was me instead of the medium. And I'm obviously not saying it's not, like I also have my obvious limitations with the medium. But it was a matter of unlearning what everything has taught me and understanding that that was a tool that it was on my side, not against me. And 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 now it's 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 different. It's it's, it's easier. I have a, a, a better relationship, but I have to de-romanticize. Like, you know, I think one of the biggest problems with documentary photography was this romanticization about the medium that it was pretty much making us forget it, it was not about taking the picture. I mean, obviously it could be, and I'm not saying that's and that's also possible. But when you are visualizing the pain of others, I don't think it should be about the picture. I think it should be about the pain of others. So, um, mm. yeah, I was upset with, with photography, but not with photography, the way we were using photography. And um, yeah, I think now it's it's the, the little painful processes of not achieving or reaching the way you want to do things. It's just normal artists mm. kind of, you know, daily daily life and, and, and that's okay. Um, but it took me a long time to understand it was not, my f- only my fault you know and uh and and i pretty much see the new generation understanding that quite fast on their process of getting into photography and and i'm glad for that that they are actually um this this we still should pay respect to the medium and and, and learn about it and 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 and, and i think that that's important, but i think at the end of the day especially when you're working with this kind of subjects and topics uh it it is important to to see that that's not the most important thing of it
0: yeah it's interesting that you talk about the younger generation because I feel like I also grew up in the 90s and I feel like we grew up in an era where photography Photography's intentions and its past have been slowly unravelled through our lifetime. Whereas the generation now, you know, the cracks are so visible. It's a tangible conversation that people are having in terms of the limitations and, and you know, where it's, um, you know, continued as a as a weapon and a tool of harm in certain spaces around the world, and how it still does now in certain in certain genres and in certain con- in certain contexts. It is really interesting i'm you know I'm really excited to see how future generations rework the medium in in exciting and sort of dynamic ways to overcome some of this
1: yeah like i'm I'm always been also in from this positive perspective you know when I graduate it was two thousand and eight and it was this economical crisis. But it was also saw a crisis in the in the medium and in, and in journalism. No? The first digital cameras were happening and it, it felt like everything was going to change. And I, actually, indeed, it, it changed, especially for the people who were working in a more traditional way. So I kind of, um, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same as having a pandemic when you graduate, but I feel a little bit... Um, you know, like I see them, I see how they are scared and, and, and they are worried, and I completely understand and I'm, I'm empathic with with this next generation in that sense. And I always tell them, like, just take, just focus in the silver linings. Like, I obviously it's different to, to, to work as a photographer in the digital era, but there is so much positive effect, sides of it at the same time. And it's an interesting moment because, in one hand, we have photography being one of the most important communication tools in history because everybody has a phone and everybody's looking at pictures all the time and everybody, you know, it's consuming photography more than ever. And in the other hand, we, we have this very big, as you say, holes and cracks in, in, in the way it's been used by, by the system and, and, and by the mainstream outlets. So I think, Basically, education is going to be the answer for that because, as you said, photography, it is really powerful and, and, and at the same time dangerous and at the same time, um, you know, as everything that is powerful in the world, it could be used for good or for evil. So I think teaching people to understand photography since they are in the school is going to be the only way for, for, for everybody to, to be able to, to be critical no with with what we are looking mm. at instead of wanting to control that we with what we are looking at is true is i think it it's more about teaching people to being critical and 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 not in a like conspiracy way but critical in a in a in a reflective way of of like also taking um Taking the power and, and uh, to ourselves to being able to understand what is that we are looking at. I think I've seen I've said this before, and I don't really remember if I made it out or I borrowed it for someone else. But I remember thinking about the fact that we from the 90s are the link generation. I remember when when we were browsing the the net. We were finding links and we have to open another window and then thinking about a connection and open another window and this, you know, linking things. The new generation is the scroll generation. You know, think about TikTok. It's just like scrolling, 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 looking at things. And the way that you absorb that information, it's almost like no filter. It's just like it's giving it to you while we have to go to find it. And that wires the brain in a very different way. So we need to give them tools to protect themselves to understand what is that you are consuming. And and I think that's that's the key element, one of the key elements of, of the new generations, not only photographers or I mean everybody's a photographer actually, but not only people working with photography and, and communication, but to everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think
1: it just all comes down to visual literacy and yeah. really evolving and fine tuning that. Yeah for sure having a conversations around photography when they are not actual photographers i think that's important too yeah absolutely i wanted to
0: finish up by asking you the question that i ask everyone at the end of the show which is what matters more to you the experience of making the work or the final manifestation
1: <laughs> well i think it's pretty clear <laughs> the yeah is it's all about experience um obviously you want to have a A good result and I think what I why I want to have a good result is for the people to have an experience like in a way what I am giving to you offering to you it's to share my experience why once I've done it so in a way for you it's I wouldn't say easier but um, you know it's open there for you to have access to so it is about the process it's not about only the result and I actually when I do have the result, it's actually kind of like a grieving moment for me. Like it's not anymore my baby, and now it's just out in the world for people to enjoy or 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 judge or whatever happens to them, no. And and it's actually a, sometimes even painful <laughs> in a way. But yeah, like as I say. Um, sharing those moments in this podcast or in a show or in a class or or when people talks about the book. It, it's also like a closing the circle, no, of 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 the starting point of, of the journey. So in a way it, it also balances. I love that.
0: Thank you so much, Laura. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at jemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free
1: to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.